Because faith comes through hearing the message of Christ, this sermon has been uploaded for you by Grace Unlimited, a ministry that functions out of Living Hope Church, Pretoria, South Africa. We want Jesus Christ to have first place in everything in our church. And we want to help you know and follow Jesus in all of life and to help others do the same. Find out more or download many more free sermons at graceunlimited.co.za or livinghopechurch.co.za. church it is that time where we now get to hear from God and so I trust that you find a spot wherever you are in your home and you've put off all the other distractions around you and kids that you find your spot you even have your little book open maybe to write down the word for today which is conviction and so every time I say conviction maybe write to make a little mark in your book and so we can follow along and listen to God's word together now, as you know, we are studying the book of Galatians, and I just want to thank Donovan again for opening up God's Word to us last Sunday. It was such a good and timely reminder in these days that God's will is the one that we're ultimately living for, and that we want His will to be done, and not in, only in, in this world, but in our lives personally as well. And so we need to trust Him, that He's got the better plan, and we're not just to seek to live on our own understanding. Alright, but today we're back in the book of Galatians, and I want to start our message off today by asking you a question. I want to ask you, are you someone that has deep personal convictions? Are you someone that has deep personal convictions? In other words, are you someone that has thought through the various issues in this life, and that you are convinced that something is true, and you are willing to stand on that principle or on that truth and live according to that truth, regardless of what the outcome or the consequences for your life might be. For example, let's say you come to this split in the road. You know, you've got two options. You're going to either go left or right. And you have to make a decision. Am I going to go left or am I going to go right? And you have all these signs and all these feelings and all these opinions in your ears saying, go this way. Go this way. Or you have all these signs and things say, go that way, the other way. You have all, you have to think through all these scenarios to make a decision. But if you are someone that has personal convictions about the situation of where to go and what to do, then you will know what path is best to take. I mean, another example right now is there's so much noise in opinions whether people should take the COVID vaccine or not. And there are so many opinions about why you should or shouldn't take vaccines in general. And some people have stronger convictions about issues like these than other people. And sometimes those convictions come from speaking to experts. Or honestly, sometimes they just come from Google. You know? But the problem is, if you don't have any convictions in this life, then you will be influenced by the opinions of others. You will be indecisive all the time, and you will be led astray to do the things you don't really want to do. I mean, we think of the the positive example in the Bible in the Old Testament. You know, Shadrach and his two buddies in Daniel chapter 3, where they are told they are not allowed to pray anymore. And in their situation, the only option they were given is to disobey God. But then we see these men are examples of those who had personal convictions, who stood up and said, no, we will continue to pray to our God. And the New Testament actually speaks about the fact that the church has been given different gifts and leaders who have the focus, Ephesians 4 verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain the, to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature Manu, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ. Why? Why does does Paul talk about all this? So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. 
You see, the Apostle Paul had this vision to see believers maturing in the church. Believers who had biblical conviction so that they can resist the opinions and the deceitful schemes and the influence of this world. And so, I think we will all agree that it is very important to have convictions. Convictions that help us stand firm in these uncertain times and the changing times. And what the church and the, the world reads now, honestly, is more men and women who have these sound convictions and because of this, all this moral chaos that's going on around us. But it's not just any convictions that are based on the, the opinions of other people, but convictions that are based on the truth of God's Word. And especially the truth of the Gospel of Grace. Because here's the thing, it's one thing to have convictions which is great, and we all should have them, where we say, I believe the gospel, and I, I believe what God's word says, but it's another thing to actually live out those convictions. You see, when we are talking about having personal convictions, there are some issues, of course, where different believers might have different convictions, right? We, we all know that people are different. I mean, like the COVID vaccine thing, and using stuff like ivermectin, or, or medicine like that. Whether you can drink wine or not, or whether your child should go to school or not, or be homeschooled. All different people have different convictions. But what we see in our text today is that for Paul, when someone does not live according to the truth that he says they believe, more specifically the fundamental truth of the gospel of grace, it's not a great issue for Paul. This was a straightforward black and white issue, a right and wrong issue. And it's an issue that needs to be confronted. Because what we will see in our passage today is that if someone does have the right biblical conviction, but they live differently to that conviction, they're a hypocrite who denies the truth of the gospel with their lives. And we are looking at the, the following sections in our journey through the book of Galatians. And we are on chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. And in this section, Paul is indicating to the Galatians that everyone is under the authority of the gospel of grace. Everyone, and especially even someone like the Apostle Peter. And that if you don't live according to what you say you believe, you're in danger. You're in danger of being a hypocrite that leads other people astray as well. And living in a way that denies the truth of the gospel. Therefore, in order to stay in line with the truth of the gospel, we need to have biblical convictions. But not only have those biblical convictions, we actually need to help each other live out those convictions and be willing to confront each other if we don't. Therefore, I want us to look at this dramatic confrontation between Peter and Paul to see what we can learn about the importance of living out our biblical convictions. And so we're going to try and break this down into four scenarios. First, we're going to look at the incident, when this happened in verse 11. Then secondly, we're going to look at the issue, the actual problem in verse 12. Thirdly, we're going to look at the impact, the result of what Peter did in verse 13. And then fourthly, the implication, the implication of what Peter was actually doing and the implication that had on the gospel. And after we've done all that, we're going to try and look at a few areas of how we can apply this text to our own lives. But let us just slow down and remember the overall context of what we've been studying through the book of Galatians. This section that we are studying today is part of Paul's final defense toward his apostolic ministry. Because false teachers, they've infiltrated the churches in Galatia, and they're influencing the believers there to discredit Paul and his message. And they're insisting what? That you need to keep the law of God in order to be truly a Christian. And the results are the Galatians are, are busy turning their backs on the grace of God, we said. But we've seen thus far that Paul has made it clear that this gospel that he's proclaiming and his apostolic status comes directly from God. This gospel totally changed his life. And that he did not get this gospel, the very truth 
that shapes everything about his life from any of the other apostles. Rather, he indicated that his interaction with these leaders of the church and his dramatic conversion with them was very limited. Paul traveled to Jerusalem because of the needs that were there. And he ended up having this very important meeting with Peter, James and John. We said it was the pillars of the early church, where they were all in agreement about Paul's gospel and his ministry toward the Gentiles. And they made this one request of Paul, that he would continue to have the conviction to remember the poor. You remember that? Not just to think about the poor, but practically care for the poor whenever that's possible. And Paul is like, that's exactly what I want to do. We looked at that last time we were together in Galatians. And now Paul is continuing his fight for the truth of the gospel to the Galatians. But he's not in Jerusalem anymore. He explains that he is now in Antioch. And it led to this massive confrontation between Peter and himself. And this is one of the most dramatic scenes of the New Testament. Paul wants to show the Galatians that even the Apostle Peter was under the authority of the gospel of grace. And if he strayed from that truth, he had to be called out on it. And his boldness to confront Peter openly then also indicates that he, he he has this authority given by God as God's chosen apostle. In other words, Paul's gospel was not just his own opinion. It was the truth that was the source of Paul's convictions then, and it's the same truth that's the source of our convictions today as well. The truth that shapes the way we should live our lives. And so, let us just read the text together, and then we're going to dive right in. And so we are find ourselves in Galatians 2, from verse 11 to 14. This is the word of God. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? So firstly, the If we're going to understand the importance of living out our biblical convictions, then let us consider firstly the incident. Number one, the incident. When this happened. And we find that in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. We have this transition from Paul here in verse 11, where he just spoke about his time in Jerusalem in verses 1 to 10. And how all the apostles present we're on the same page together. But now in this next scene, he mentions that Peter in fact came to Antioch, which led to this serious confrontation. And it's a very important confrontation because it's two of the apostles of the Lord Jesus who said they were on the same page, but now it looks like one of them is not. Now, most likely what we have here is that after this meeting in Jerusalem from verses 1 to 10, Paul finds himself coming back to Antioch. And this is Syrian Antioch. This is the first missionary sending church made up of mostly Gentile believers. This is like the center of Gentile Christianity. The powerhouse of Christian missions at the time, as one man says. In fact, the rapid growth of the new believers in this area, it had to be called something. The Jews had to to give it a name to this. And so, this is where the term Christian actually comes from. You see that in Acts 11, verse 26. Let me just read that to us. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And here it is. 
And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. This was Paul's sending church. And it could be that Peter came to this area just after Paul's first missionary journey. It might even be that he's doing some kind of inspection trip of some kind to see what the Christian growth and the development was like in the area. And so it looks like this event takes place after the family visit that Paul just had in Jerusalem and before the Jerusalem Council meeting in Acts 15. But again, the main point of all of this is what happened. Because Paul says that when Peter, Cephas, came to Antioch, he did what? I opposed him to his face. This is pretty strong language. Because Paul is not saying, I came back to Antioch and, and then I saw Peter and I, you know, we decided to connect and sort of give each other ministry feedback and updates on what's going on in ministry. Paul is not coming alongside Peter here in any shape or form. Rather, he's opposing him to his face. Paul is making it clear to the Galatians who is wrong in this situation. Now the word opposing might give you the idea that Paul might have lost his temper or something. But that's not really the picture here. Paul is not losing his control. He's actually just standing up against the Apostle Peter because of his gospel-driven convictions. And notice what he did. How did he do it? He did not go behind Peter's back too afraid to address one of the Jerusalem apostles. I mean, remember, this is Peter. He's like the leader of the pack. And Paul is this new addition to this group of apostles. And we know that Peter is highly regarded in Jerusalem. But remember again what Paul said back to in um, verse 6 of chapter 2 in Galatians. What did he say? He said, Who these influential men are makes no difference to me. Because he is so convinced of the truth. So Paul here is in Antioch and he's confronting Peter directly to his face. And he's not out of control, he's not emotional, but rather he's seeing something and he's acting on it. Because of his gospel convictions. And why did Paul act so boldly against one of the pillars of the New Testament church? It's because Peter stood condemned. Peter stood condemned. It was clear that to Paul that Peter was doing something that he should not have been doing. But in what sense was Peter condemned? Well, because condemned here means he was guilty of something. That word actually means guilt, guilty. We see the same word used in, back in Deuteronomy 25 verse 1, where it says, If there is a dispute between men, and they come into court, and the judges decide between them, acquitting innocent and condemning, Condemn, condemning the guilty. It's the same word. So this word condemn carries with the idea of not only being guilty, but it's like the sentence being handed down to a criminal in courts. Peter was acting like a criminal. And what makes it so intense is that Peter is not condemned by Paul and his own opinions, but by God and his gospel of grace. Because Peter is not living in light of the truth that he says he believes. You see, Paul has noticed that the truth of the gospel is at stake and this confrontation between these men is not a difference about theology. Peter did not have a, a different conviction than Paul. They just said in Jerusalem they had the same theology. Rather, it's that Peter acted differently to what he truly believed. And so here we have this epic moment. This crucial incident. Two apostles of Jesus face to face over an issue that to Paul clearly left Peter condemned. And now in verse 12, Paul explains what Peter was actually doing. That's number two. So first we saw the incident and now the issue. Number two, the issue. What's the problem? Verse 12. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. What was clear to Paul was not so clear to Peter in that moment. And we need to appreciate some of the background to the situation to really see what's going on here. You see, Peter was in Antioch for a while before Paul got there. 
And while he was there, he made it a habit of eating and dining with his gentle brothers and sisters in the Lord. And this made perfect sense because you will remember that in Acts 10, he received this vision where God showed him there was no impure foods anymore. It's all good to eat. But more importantly, we see from Acts 11 and further on, it's all good to eat with anyone. Because God is the one who not only makes food clean, but He makes people clean as well. The sacrifice of Jesus Himself means that I can eat anything with anyone. This was Peter's new conviction that he was living out at the time while he was in Antioch with these brothers in the Lord. And we know that what makes this then so significant is that for the Jews, if you're going to eat with Gentiles, this is just something you didn't do. Why? Because you run the risk of being contaminated by their immorality, their sin. It's like you're at risk of getting contaminated by a virus. You know, think about COVID. So you want to do whatever you can to sort of distance yourself and go to great lengths to avoid getting infected. I mean, another example, again from the book of Daniel, is how Daniel and his friends limited themselves to only eating vegetables and water so that they would not be defiled by the fruit of the king. This is Daniel 1 verse 8. So for any Torah observant Jew, it would be shocking if you ate this kind of impure food with this kind of impure company. But Peter is enjoying this shoulder to shoulder kind of fellowship with his new brothers and sisters in the Lord and totally enjoying the freedom they have in Christ together. But when these men from James show up, what did Peter do? All of a sudden, he's practicing social distancing, right? The text says he withdrew himself. He separated himself from the Gentiles. I mean, honestly, it's like having a meal at Living Up Church. It's an old church family meal. And as a South African guy, he's eating with all his new brothers and sisters in the Lord. The Congolese, Zimbabwean, American, Zambian, you name it. And as soon as people from the same South African culture walk in, He stands up and he withdraws himself from the people around him. You stop eating those lacquer chicken feet in Morocco and you intensely separate yourself from these people. And it's a very sad moment, honestly. This is a sad moment. Because by stopping to eat meals with the Gentiles and enjoying table fellowship with them, Peter was doing what? He was busy rebuilding a wall of division that separated Jew and Gentile. The very wall that Jesus came to break down with His own life. You see, the church in Antioch was this amazing, beautiful picture, this hub of Jewish and Gentile relationships in the early church. And this church community was, again, this beautiful picture of a new race of people, you could say, that were truly living as united Grace receiving sinners. So why would Peter do this? Why would he do this? Well, the text says, it's because of his fear of man. It's because of fear of man. End of verse 12. He was more concerned about the opinions of these men than he was about what he truly believed. But who were these men from James? And why did did they represent something that would create such a fear with Peter? Now, there's actually a a couple of different views here about who these men actually were. One view is that these men were sent by James and they represented even the the views of James. Because back in Jerusalem, they, they all heard that guys like Peter were in fact enjoying too much fellowship with the Gentiles. And they were concerned about the problems that this would create within the Jewish circles. Another view sees these men as phonies, who say they come from James, representing his views, but they're just name-dropping all over the place, pushing their own agenda, hiding behind the name of James to push their own views and opinions down on the Gentiles. And Paul does not give us enough details here to make a clear choice, because think about it. Yes, James would have said theologically that Gentiles are part of God's family. 
and they don't need to be circumcised to be accepted by God. We see that he agreed with Paul in Jerusalem, and he does the same thing again later, in, actually at the Jerusalem Council meeting in Acts 15. But even though he lined up with Paul and Peter theologically, he too could have been more conservative in his approach to this relationship between the Gentiles and the Jews and what this looked like practically. These were still early days of Christianity. But again, regardless of who these men were, the point is that their influence was so strong that it caused Peter to not act according to his gospel-driven convictions anymore. And notice how Paul refers to the bigger picture as well, when he says, Peter pulled back because of fearing the circumcision party. The circumcision party. Now each time the reference or term circumcision party is used in the New Testament, it has a different meaning. So you have to look at the context to establish the meaning. And in most cases it actually refers to Jewish Christians, believers, Jewish believers. But it can also just mean more in general, people who are circumcised. Which many think is more likely the case here. Which simply means that he could have been fearing unbelieving religious Jews as well. Like the Judaizers in Galatia, who think they are all religious and causing all these problems in the church. But the thing in general was that whenever the Jews felt that their belief system was being threatened, they wanted to investigate and change that situation, enforcing their own views on others, wanting to protect their own religious beliefs. Which now we see clearly does not only include circumcision, but also food and fellowship issues as well. This was the stuff that made the Jews distinct from the Gentiles. And as a Jew himself, Peter is failing in this moment to stick to his guns because of the presence of these men and the pressure they brought from the Jewish belief system and the devotion to their own beliefs. And the thing is, the more Gentile Christianity was growing, the more the Jewish pressure was growing as well. And Paul sees the influence these men had on Peter and he couldn't pretend that he didn't see it. He couldn't just throw a blind eye to it. Because next, look at the impact of Peter's behavior. First we saw the incident. Paul is opposing Peter to his face. Then secondly, the issue. Peter is fearing man and behaving differently from his gospel convictions. And now thirdly, the impact. The result from his behavior. Verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him. So that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul is making it clear that Peter's actions did not just bring himself under condemnation. His behavior was spreading like a virus. And it's a little bit ironic because... He was separating himself to avoid being contaminated by the Gentiles when these guys from James showed up. But he was in fact the one doing the contamination to the Jews. Because the other Jews that were also there, they followed Peter's example and they did exactly the same. And what is the word used here to describe their behavior? Hypocrite. He acted hypocritically and they're a hypocrite, Paul says. But what does it really mean to be a hypocrite? Now we've all heard this word being used in different situations, you know, like a lot of people say the government leaders are hypocrites because they make promises before election time, but they never deliver on those promises. In other words, people don't practice what they preach, right? But if you take a closer look at the actual word hypocrite, it can simply mean to play a part. To play a part. In other words, A hypocrite, essentially, is an actor. An actor. Someone who would put on a mask and play a part in a performance, so that what happens then is that you are covering up your true character, your true thoughts or feelings, and behaving differently in front of other people. So essentially, you are masking or covering your true convictions and playing the part that's not really yours. This is exactly what Peter was doing. He was changing the way 
He interacted with the Gentile believers. He was living out his gospel convictions in one situation, and then all of a sudden he covers them up in another. You see, and the thing is, when we as Christians play the part of an unbeliever, then we are too guilty of hypocrisy. Now it's one thing to believe something is true. And then you fail to live up what you believe. We know that we all recognize, we're in process right now, that Jesus is still sanctifying us to make us more like Him. And we will continue to deal with our sin and struggles. But when we say we believe something is true, and you intentionally live in a way that covers that up, and makes it look like we don't believe that is true, that is hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. As one commentator says, it's a kind of treachery. It's like a husband who takes his wedding ring off so that he can play the part of a single man. It's dishonestly and disloyalty to the Savior who gave you his life so that you can live with a new identity, new convictions, and true gospel confidence. So notice that Paul then also points out the extent, the full extent of the impact of Peter's harmful behavior here. Because he says, even Barnabas was led astray. Think about this. Even Barnabas, who was with Paul in Jerusalem. Even Barnabas, who was part of that epic meeting. Paul's missionary partner on his journeys. Now he too did not live out his convictions. And he also stood condemned before God. And I'm sure we all have stories and examples of how we've been impacted by the hypocrisy of someone else. Again, think about it like this coronavirus. It just needs a little bit of contact and it spreads like wildfire. Hypocrisy spreads like wildfire. Where people jump in on the bandwagon, think of this looting situation. They behave in a way that they know is fundamentally wrong because this pressure comes from the people around them, they jump right in. And they do what they know they shouldn't be doing. Therefore, being a hypocrite can be very, very dangerous. I mean, we think of this idea and how this challenges us even as parents, right? Those of you who are parents, where mom and dad are the the key influence in the home and some parents, they play the part out there in front of other people. But at home, the kids see a different side of them. And you know what? Your kids follow that example. That's what they imitate. But it's not just parents. This is true for every person who says he's a believer in the Lord Jesus. You play the role of the hypocrite when you act like there is no gospel of grace. And not only do you infect other Christians to follow your bad example, but you can even impact unbelievers to cause them to miss out on the gospel. And I'm sure Peter didn't want his behavior to have such a radical impact on those around him. He didn't think his social distancing would have such an effect. I'm sure he regretted his behavior. In fact, later in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he gives a practical warning himself. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. I mean, Peter knew what it meant to be carried away because of peer pressure. But then, just in the following verse, he says in verse 18, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because the more we grow in grace, the more we will live out our gospel convictions based on grace. Which brings us now to our final point. We've seen the incident. We've seen the issue. We've seen the extent of the impact of Peter's behavior. And now finally the implication. The implication. How confronting others are needed and how Peter was adding to the gospel. He says, Paul says, But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul was not going to be silent 
when he saw what he saw. But notice what he says here specifically. He says, I saw that conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. I mean, in verse 13, he just accused Peter, Barnabas, and the other Jews of being hypocrites. But now in verse 14, he accuses them more specifically of failing to act in accordance with the gospel. In other words, these guys were not in step or walking, living in line with the truth of the gospel. I mean, the word here is orthopedio, which means in step or, or walking. This is where we get the word orthopedics from. Now, if you're like me and you have as many foot problems as I do, you know that good orthopedics is essential in this life. If you're struggling with your feet, you will struggle to walk straight. And so Paul is saying, these guys are not walking straight in line with the truth of the gospel. Peter and Barnabas and these other Jews were not living in a manner worthy of the gospel. I mean, like Paul says to the Philippians in 1 Philippians 1 verse 27, Philippians 1 verse 27, let me read it. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your, by your opponents. And it's the truth of the gospel that Paul is so concerned about. Not only here, but we know this is essentially what the whole book of Galatians is all about. Because remember, the, the crisis in Galatians is that people are imposing their opinions and beliefs on others, requiring them to conform to circumcision and how they eat and to, with whom they have fellowship. But the true character of the gospel of grace says that Jesus did it all, and we are all one in Jesus. So if someone does this by forcing others to conform to the law, they are living out, out of line with the truth of Jesus Himself. Which, Paul says, is another gospel, which is no gospel at all. So Paul is so serious about this issue, that he takes the bold step to confront Peter in front of everyone else. He's not expecting Peter to do something here that Paul hasn't done himself. Because we know that back in Galatians 2.5, Paul says that he resisted the pressure from these false brothers to have Titus circumcised. And he, we knew that this pressure was strong, but he did not yield to it for a second, for a moment. But Peter here, on the other hand, he got carried away in the moment and his actions were so extensive, Paul could not just go to Peter in private and say to him, Hey bro, do you know what you're doing? Do you realize actually what you're doing right now? He had to confront Peter publicly so that everyone could see that what Peter was doing was totally out of line. Totally out of line with the truth he says he believes. And because of the, the big implication this has on the gospel, because if Peter would only eat with Gentiles on the condition that they observed the food laws, he was now indirectly saying with his behavior that the Gentiles were not true believers, unless they also observed the food and purity laws. And so this confrontation is serious when Paul asks the question to Peter in front of everyone. He says, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Paul's like, come on Peter, look at the extent of your hypocrisy. You're a Jewish person yourself. And you've been living like the Gentiles when you were in Antioch. Now you're in Antioch. You yourself have stopped to keep the purity laws. But now your behavior is sending a new message. It's a new message. You are acting like these false brothers in Galatia, forcing the Gentiles to now live like Jews and having to keep the food laws. He was busy Judaizing them with his behavior. And this is serious. And We see kind of the same concept in, back in the Old Testament. In Esther chapter 8 verse 17. It says, And many from the peoples of the country declared themselves Jews for fear of the Jews had fallen on them. You see, in the book of Esther, the Gentiles 
because of the fear of the Jews. They converted to Judaism and they would even go as far as being circumcised. And essentially this is the implication of Peter's behavior. And this is a dramatic moment because Peter knows, he knew that these things are not required to be a Christian. That's why Paul called him a hypocrite and not a false brother. He knows what the truth is, but he was living differently to that truth. Living our church, we know what the truth is. And we have to be careful that we are not living hypocritical lives either, saying one thing one day, but we're living differently the next. We need to make sure that we are living in step with the truth of the gospel. But how? How? What practical lessons can we learn from this dramatic confrontation between Paul and Peter? When we saw the incident, Paul is opposing Peter to his face. We saw the problem. Peter is social distancing himself because of peer pressure. We saw the impact, the extent of his hypocritical behavior is leading others astray as well. And we saw the implications that he was effectively adding to the gospel, saying that you need to keep these other food laws in order to be right with God. We had the right beliefs, but the wrong behavior. So let me just mention a few ways of application here for us today. I think I've, I've listed about five, but there's, honestly there's so much more here, but we can be here all day talking about all the ways we can apply this text to our lives. Number one, application. We need to identify when we are most likely to act like hypocrites. We need to know when is the situation when I'm most tempted to act like a hypocrite. And honestly, one of the ways that's true is when we are not thinking about truth. If you neglect to study the Word of God, if you neglect to spend time in the Word of God, then guess what? You're not going to be someone of conviction. You're not going to be someone who has biblical convictions and you're just going to go with the flow. You're going to be like one of those looters that just jumps in on the bandwagon and goes with everyone else and does what is wrong. Or what about when something will be to our advantage? That's when we typically are hypocrites. We will compromise on the truth to avoid to getting into trouble or being persecuted for what we believe in. When we face peer pressure like Peter did, when the peer pressure and the, the influence is so strong that we draw back like Peter did. Because here's the thing, Peter didn't want to be crucified with Christ in that moment. He wanted to avoid going to the cross with Jesus and live out his true convictions. So let me ask you, are you busy living a life that does the same? Are you avoiding the cross and through your behavior? Rather, the more we live as if we are crucified with Christ, the less likely we will be actors and hypocrites. The more we understand grace, and the fact that God loves me and is for me, and He accepts me because of what Jesus did, and not what I do, the bolder I will be for that truth. Second, we can never compromise on the truth of the gospel. We can never compromise on the truth of the gospel. There are some truths that simply we cannot compromise on, even for our friends or our family or our own culture. We might be tempted to want to please our parents, for example, and take that job where there's no biblical church or where the money is good, or marry someone from a specific tribe or culture because that's what my family expects. But they are not even a Christian. But I don't like to upset others. I want to be a peacemaker, we say. Because the Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. You know? You don't stand up for what you truly believe is right. And you conform to the unbelieving world around you. You know what? You're not a peacemaker. You're a gospel traitor. A gospel traitor. I mean, think of Paul. He could have been like, you know what? We have come so far, Peter and I. We did the right hand of fellowship thing back in Jerusalem. Let me not make things awkward between us. 
But rather, Paul was living out his convictions. He spoke up. We need to believe that doing the right thing, that God will give us the grace we need to face those difficult circumstances. To deal with people like family or friends or our culture, whoever is bringing this pressure into our lives. The grace of God is for those moments as well. Thirdly, recognize that different people have different convictions. Different people have different convictions, especially in in such a diverse church family like ours. But we have to filter all of those convictions through the gospel of grace. So, before I do something, or make a certain decision, or even say something with passion to someone else, I have to ask myself, how will this impact the rest of the church? Even ask myself, Will my strong convictions lead others to do what I want them to do? Or am I leading them to do what God wants them to do? Does your convictions line up with the Word of God? Fourthly, recognize, this is so clear, that we are all at risk of being hypocrites. We are all at risk of being hypocrites. This confrontation shows us that if the Apostle Peter can have a moment like this, then we can easily have moments like this as well. We say we believe one thing, but then we act in a different way. The reality is that no one arrives to a point where they are not able to struggle with a certain sin ever again. Honestly, even think of Peter. He denied Jesus before, didn't he? This is not his first time doing this. And so we need to check our attitudes. If you have become arrogant about your opinions, then you are in danger of being a hypocrite that can lead other people astray. And then fifthly, finally, we need each other to live out our convictions. We need each other to live out our convictions. Paul could have kept silent and pretended he saw nothing, but he didn't. He was lovingly bold enough to even approach someone with a reputation like Peter and confront him to his face. Not gossiping behind his back, not slandering his name with other people, rather he was helping Peter. And we need the help from each other if we are not living in the light of the truth we say we believe. Paul was so courageous and sometimes we might be called to be courageous as well. And the thing is, grace makes us courageous. Because we know we've been already accepted by God because of Jesus. You see, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 20, Paul writes to Timothy, he tells him that when elders who sin, they need to be publicly corrected. Why? Because their sin has an effect on the rest of the church as well. And so the same principle applies to us all. And it doesn't mean that we become the kind of people who like to receive grace, but we never extend that grace to other people. Because that is another form of hypocrisy, isn't it? Rather, the gospel of grace motivates us to lovingly help each other, live out our shared gospel-driven conviction. So if someone is living contrary to the truth they say they believe, you as a brother or sister need to show them that from God's Word clearly, and be a faithful witness of the grace we have received. Martin Luther encourages us when he actually points out that this whole scenario with Paul and Peter is actually a great comfort to believers. He says it like this, As we see many celebrated men in Scripture like Samson, David, and now even Peter fall into sin, We know that no true believer has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again. On the other hand, none has such a sure footing that he cannot fall. If Peter can fall, so can I. But here's the thing, if he could stand up again, so can I. By the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this reminder of how important it is that we actually live out the truth that we say we believe. Thank you that you've given us the gospel of grace. 
Thank you that it shapes the way we live our lives. Thank you that it has implications for the way we live our lives. It changes the way we think about every area of our lives. And so Lord, I pray first and foremost that you would make us a church of deep biblical convictions. People who think about the issues of life in a biblical way, that know where we stand on the the truth of the gospel. Lord, that our behavior would match up with the truth we say we believe. Lord, that when we are with the unbelieving world around us, that we're not one person with our unbelieving friends, and when our Christian friends arrive, we all of a sudden pull back, and we act as if we're such holy people, and better than other people. Help us to recognize that we need to live by grace every single day, knowing that Jesus did it all. That we would not confuse or distort the gospel to the world around us. That we would not distort the gospel in our own minds and be influenced by other people in such a way that we are not faithful representatives of the truth. Thank you, Father, that you gave such boldness to someone like Paul, that he would confront someone like Peter. And perhaps that's even true right now. There's a situation in our lives where we need to be like Paul and confront someone like a Peter. And so, Father, we do pray that your grace would shower us again in our hearts and our minds, that we would be motivated by love to reach out to those who are clearly not living and step with the gospel. We want to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And so make us people of conviction. Help us to apply this to our hearts so that we can put your glory on the display. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.